In uh, Exodus chapter 20, eventually we'll get back to uh, studying the, the idea that we're to teach them to observe all things whatsoever the Lord has commanded, and it's my desire to go through the New Testament the Gospels particularly, and see the direct commands that the Lord gave to the world and particularly his people. And last week, last two weeks, uh, Caleb taught about repent and believe the Gospel. But I I want to uh, take up a subject that's prominent in the news today, and uh, it's not that I don't think you believe right about it, but I do think we need to be reminded, and that's this uh, Roe versus Wade and abortion in our country. In Exodus chapter 20 and verse 13, God very, in four words, uh, puts out his feeling about what's gone on. And uh, you'll be reminded today that it's been going on for 50 years in America, half a century. And God, uh, and God, says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. In Exodus 20 and verse 13, the Lord gives one of his commands, and he says, thou shalt not kill. And so as I said, if you've been knowing the news, you'll note that someone leaked out of the Supreme Court what quite possibly could be the decision of overturning uh, Roe versus Wade. Uh, The Democrats are screaming that America's women are losing all their rights. Uh, The rhinos are maneuvering, (laughs) trying to find a political safe place to stand. And those who are Christians and understand the Bible are rejoicing. But what should be our stand on uh, Roe versus Wade? Let me give you a little bit of history. We won't have a lot of verses, but it will be powerful verses as we work through this. But on January 22nd, 1973, the United States Supreme Court ruled that a woman had the constitutional right to abort her baby. The case was titled Roe versus Wade, named for the parties involved. Norma McCorvey was a woman who sought an abortion in Dallas County, Texas, but was denied it by Henry Wade, the district attorney at the time. 
In the court case, which traveled all the way from Dallas to the Supreme Court, Norma McCorvey was listed anonymously as Jane Roe, and thus the name Roe versus Wade. The Supreme Court decision was in favor of McCorvey, and it was lauded as a victory for women's reproductive rights. Hmm and eliminated any and all considerations pertaining to the stages of preg pregnancy and fetal development or emotional trauma to the mother. It did leave room for states to enforce their own laws concerning the second and third trimesters. According to several polls, the number of legal abortions since Roe versus Wade was passed may now be as high as 60 million. I think it's probably quite more higher. The 60 million babies destroyed. The deaths of 60 million unborn Americans should force us to think carefully about this issue. While many champion Roe versus Wade as a great victory for women in the Christian viewpoint, is this a Christian viewpoint? Is this God's viewpoint? Let me kind of talk about what preceded this as being the old codger here this morning. It wasn't until 1950s that pregnancy began to fall out of popularity in the United States. Although abortion had been practiced throughout history, the predominant view was always that children were a blessing. Most families were comprised of two parents and the children born to or adopted by them. Mothers usually stayed home to raise the kids while fathers earned the paycheck. I was born in 1950, and really I think if you study history, uh, during World War II, Rosie the Riveter left home, went to work, and uh, began to earn money, and began to think that freedom was in earning your own salary and doing your own thing. And the, moral, the morals of our nation didn't improve, but they went south. And uh, the, the in, you know, in 1950s, if, if, if your mother worked, it was because the father was ill or decapitated or you were a single parent and there's nothing wrong with that. But choosing to go to work when you had enough to live on, and uh, what, how do you, how do you, how do you uh, measure that? Uh, well, um, you do with what you have, and then if you, if you don't have it, you just do without. And, and uh, this began to change in our nation about the same time television came into our nation. Uh, all of these, none of these necessary in and of themselves are evil, but what came through them is evil. The 1960s brought the sexual revolution and with it the rising fear of unwanted pregnancy. Uh, I'll try not to chase too many rabbits here, but listen, the freedom of choice with a woman was to choose to not commit fornication. Nobody forces people to commit fornication. 
and the pregnancies were caused by them. <clears throat> Various methods of birth control exploded on the market in 1960s, but when the birth control failed, as it often did, abortion became a desired solution. And since abortions were illegal in the United States, many women sought to obtain unsafe back alley abortions from untrained abortionists. Disease, sterility, and even death resulted from those choices. That gruesome history made the nation ripe for a change in abortion laws rather than curb the rampant sexual immorality. The country began to cry for an abortion solution. God already had a solution but America had ordered him from the classroom and many cases from the bedroom. And so the wages of sin is death. And Roe versus Wade was indeed a great victory for sexual immorality, for selfishness, for death mongers. It freed women from the slavery to their natural motherly instincts at the cost of their souls. Natural motherly instincts. It's true. And, and in fact, in the last years, last decades, you know, it's almost a shame for a girl to say, I, I want to get married and have children. How could you say that? Because uh, God has designed that. There's nothing wrong with that. And regardless of how inconvenient or difficult the pregnancy may be, to elect abortion is not the natural step. The baby is not only the thing that dies, but the mother will lose an integral part of herself and she will live with the knowledge the rest of her life. And so the Bible makes clear here in verse 13 of Exodus chapter 20 that murder is wrong. However, in some cases, the, Bible's not, the Bible doesn't forbid killing. Soldiers representing their country were expected to kill the enemy. Joshua says, for it was the Lord to harden, for it was of the Lord to harden their heart that they should come against Israel in battle, that he might destroy them utterly, and that he may have no favor but that he might destroy them as the Lord commanded Moses. And so killing in war is not murder in relationship to what the Bible says. No one likes to go to war. I'm thankful that I never had to look down the sights of a barrel during the Vietnam War and shoot someone. But, but that is not murder. Murder uh, maybe a, a, a definition that could be a working definition is the unlawful premeditated killing of one human being by another. And so murder is unlawful killing. 
That's killing done by the judgment of one human being thinking that another human being needs to be destroyed for personal reasons. But the Bible condemns that. Deuteronomy repeats the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill. Matthew says, you have heard that it was said of them of old time, thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of judgment. But there's two questions concerning abortion and murder. First of all, there's a question, there's a question, is the, is the fetus, I don't even like to use that term, is the fetus human? Is it a, vi is it a viable human being? And then the second is, if, if, um, if abortion is ruled legal, is it then murder? Well, I guess we could ask ourselves. I got my ears are buzzing. Sorry, let me try to fix them. That's what keeps me uh, keeps me awake. Is a fetus human, and if it's ruled legal by a, a government is a murder. Well, was Auschwitz wrong? It was. It was ruled legal. And as I um, mentioned here before, maybe last week, but uh, when when it went to when the Nuremberg trials were being had, the German lawyers said that what makes the rules of the Western society, what makes the rules of America or Europe, other Europe nations, any greater than our rules? We have rules. We follow our rules. You follow your rules. We believe that the Jewish people should be eliminated. And the lawyer got up and said, there is a law above the law. Saying that God's law supersedes all laws in the, in the world. Sorry, this is this really going bad here. I actually went and got some new wires and now I can hear more what my wife says than I need to. <laughs> I get more honeydews that way. So, what about this? First, let's just talk about if it's a fetus, is it a human? And we wanted to say, first of all, in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, Genesis 1, 26, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, 
and let him have the dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. That when man was created, he is created in God's likeness. Actually, murder is an attack upon the person of God. We're created in his image, and, and, uh, and we'll, we'll try to, uh, well, let me just say here what image is. It means the capability of rational thought. We know that God is, uh, is uh, not visible, but Christ is, but, uh, and he's no less God. But uh, it means in his image that we have rational thought, we have personality, we have moral responsibility. And so, man, when he is created, he was created in the image of God. And that, if you look over after the, after the flood, if you look over in chapter 9 and verse 3, every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, and even the green herb have I given you all things, but flesh will be the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, so you not eat. And so he forbid eating blood, but he didn't forbid man eating animals. That cannot be discarded. Man is superior to the other animal creation. Man was specifically made in the image of God. And to murder a man is a direct affront upon God. Let me just give you this little, little illustration. Mr. Evolutionist, or the God denier, he's driving down the road and he sees a red squirrel out in the middle of the road kicking his hind legs. He's uh, been run over, hit by a car. And he stops and he jumps out, slamming his brakes on and stopping and jumping out. And he frankly calls 911 and he says that they're needed out here on 22 Mile Chino Hot Springs Road. A squirrel's been run over and uh, you need to hurry out here. And so the people, there is a there is um, some medical people out there in Two Rivers. And so they rush over there, and when they get there, the squirrel has died, and the man's sitting there sobbing because the poor squirrel has lost his life. Well, that's, that's crazy. But wouldn't there be a difference even with this evolutionist if it was a baby laying there in the road? Absolutely. Just common sense tells us that there's something unique and valuable and important in life. And particularly, we're talking about uh, infant here. And so, what does the Bible have to say about the fetus? 
Look over in uh, Psalms 139. And let's look there in verse 13. For thou hast possessed my reins, his inner emotions, his heart, his mind. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret. Definitely talking about conception in the womb and being made. And there's no indication here that there was a point when at 13 weeks it became viable. But actually, when it's conceived, what color hair it's going to have, what color skin, its eyes, all of that is already determined. And blood begins to form. And the Bible says the life of the flesh is in the blood. It's viable. It's, it's a human being. My substance is not hid from thee, and I was made in secret, and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thy eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, not yet complete. And in the book, all my members were written. What it was going to be was determined, which is a continuance were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. So there's lots of things going on today that's covered here. Uh, one of them is that God has determined the sex in the womb. It's not to be determined after you get out and whether I want to be a boy or a girl. I mean, the insanity of what's taking place in supposed to be educated places is overwhelming. But the fact of the matter is here that God saw an infant in there, that there is a viable human being, that, that this thing, of this, this whole term, fetus, is not any, cannot be any place found, that concept in the Bible. It's a baby. Look over in the book of Job. Job chapter 10. And verse 8. Thy hands have made me and fashioned me together round about, yet thou Dost destroy me. Remember, I beseech thee that thou hast made me as the clay, 
and wilt thou bring me into dust again? So Job is, is, is under duress because of what he's in, and he's questioning God, and later on he's going to repent of that. But he clearly says here that, uh, that God fashioned him. Thou hast clothed me with the skin and flesh and hast fenced me with bones and sinews. Interesting language. I didn't take time to dig further in it, but there's a, you know, the sinews, the bones, the way that our bodies put together. Thou hast granted me life and favor, and thy visitation hath preserved my spirit. That's yeah. Yeah, well, that's that's interesting. Um, sometimes there's a question, and I I'll just briefly talk about. It. Well, what about miscarriages? Well, miscarriages is a process of normal life. It's not an outside force coming in and killing the baby. There's something some reason that God allows a woman to miscarry, and uh, it happens. It happens as a process of life, but it's not an outside force coming in and destroying the infant. Now look with me, a very, very interesting verse in Exodus chapter 21. Exodus chapter 21. Someone was telling me the other day that they are they're trying to make some laws that it will be legal to kill a baby up until one year old. If you've had it for outside the womb for a certain time and you decide I don't, you know, I'm not gonna put up with this. I'm not sure that's true. Uh, the people that commented, I think they knew what they was talking about. But you know, after about three months old, uh, dirty diapers get, you know, <laughs> get to be uh, troubling. But uh, I don't know how anybody can hold a baby and not have something take place in their heart, especially if it's been given to you, that they're precious. But in Exodus chapter 21, God is giving some laws here, and he says, if men strive and hurt a woman with child, so these guys are fighting, and this woman has, is pregnant, so that her fruit depart from her, and yet no mischief follow. That is, she has her baby, but the baby turns out to be okay. He shall be surely punished according to the woman's husband will lay upon him, and he shall pay as the judges determined. And so the, the woman's husband decides what kind of punishment this person should get for causing 
this uh, child to come prematurely. And if any mischief follow, that is, the child is hurt or dies, and if any mischief follows, then thou shalt give life for life. If the baby dies, the individual who caused the death in the strife dies. Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. And so somehow the baby's arm was, was paralyzed or something, you lose your arm. Burning for burning, wound for wound, stripe for strife, stripe for stripe. And so the Bible indicates that this infant inside the womb who has been damaged and premature birth took place, that it is an individual. It's a viable life. And when it is taken, there'll be uh, repercussions for that. Let's look uh, at a number of verses here. We're in, you go back to Genesis. In Genesis chapter 25, And 23, and the Lord said unto her, two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from the bowels, and one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elders shall serve the younger. And so he's talking about, to Rebekah, the fact that Jacob and Esau twins were in her womb. And he says, two nations are in your womb. Now go over to Romans chapter 9. And look in verse 11, Romans 9 and 11. For the children, look at that word, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, or the purpose of God according to his election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. And he said, the elder shall serve the younger, the one that come out first being considered the old elder. But he, he calls them children in the womb. Samson's mother was not to drink wine because Samson was to be a Nazarite who would be swore all of his life not to drink wine. And he was considered underneath that vow even in his mother's womb. Now go to uh, Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1.
and 35. And the angel answered and said unto her, that's Mary, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, not yet, but it's going to, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. And Mary arose in those days. Now, uh, that could be immediately. Those days could refer to what the Holy Spirit said. Or it could have been a little later. But sometime closely related to the time that the angel visited her and said the Holy Spirit is going to come upon her, she got up and she left. And Mary rose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah. We don't know exactly which one, maybe Hebron, others. And entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass when Elizabeth heard the salutation and so some say from Nazareth to this hill country, that this, this village or city in Judah, it could be anywhere from four days to five days journey. And it came to pass when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb. John the Baptist in the womb of Mary realized that there was a spatial life possibly only five days into the pregnancy that was in her womb. It's a person. No greater person in all the world than Jesus Christ. And so to take a life in the womb is to commit murder. And so the big question comes, the big question comes, what about, rape, or incest? I don't want to get too political here, but there was a, a, a poll that was done on replacing Don Young and the four leading candidates, uh, Palin, Coghill, Baggage. Who was the other one? You know? There was another one. And two of those four uh, said that they could, they could, uh, agree with abortion if in case of rape or incest. I read Article 2 this week about people saying that the Republican Party, many of the Republicans are coming to a position, absolutely no abortion, period. Well, 
you have to come to a biblical position. We have to come to a biblical position. And if a woman is raped and she becomes pregnant, it's a horrible thing. It's a sad thing. And if somehow in, in the family she's raped and it's incest, it's a horrible thing. And we know even that sometimes incest can cause um, cause problems genetically. But we're going to have to wrestle or surrender to the fact that Romans 8.28 says, all things work together for good to those that love God who are called according to his purpose. And one wrong is not justified by two wrongs. It wasn't the baby's fault. And the baby can have a very wonderful life. And even in the case of incest or rape, it can be a tremendous blessing. And there's people lined up and without the without the finances, they've almost made adoption to be a business where they're making money and not even caring about the kids. They've just been a they just become a of something to sell, but but uh, rape and incest, incest. Even though how terrible it is, cannot justify another wrong. Well, what about the mother's health? Let me read you some stuff here. Another argument often used against the Christian stance on abortion is what about when the life of the mother is at risk? And let me say back up to rape and incest. Less than 1% of, of abortions are from rape and incest. What about the mother's health? Honestly, this is the most difficult question to answer on the issue of abortion. First, let's remember such a situation is exceedingly rare. Dr. Shelties, a pioneer in the field of vitro fertilization, said less than 1% of all abortions are performed to save the mother's life. Other medical professionals go further, stating that abortion is never necessary to save the mother's life. Over 1,000 OBGYNs and maternal healthcare experts signed a statement in 2012 saying, in part, as experienced practitioners and researchers in obstetrics and gynecology, we affirm and that direct abortion, the purposeful destruction of an unborn child, is not medically necessary to save the life of a woman. And that gives uh, the Dublin Declaration of Maternal Health. It says, medical leaders representing more than 30,000 doctors said intentionally killing a late-term unborn baby is an, an abortion is never necessary to save a mother's life. For those who have had an abortion, remember, 
that the sin of abortion is no less forgivable than any other sin. And so you can be forgiven, but the, 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 but the deal is uh, the baby may have to be taken early. Many things can happen. In our medical, you know, it's not like we're back in the 1800s and the mother's life is in danger, but it's very, very possible. I mean, it is possible to preserve the baby's life. Okay, now, what is our responsibility? Uh, well, our, part, our responsibility is to preach the gospel at the church. Yeah. And I think we need to be careful not to go on... Uh, tangents but as Christians uh, we have responsibilities and uh, and we don't have the right though I think maybe sometimes I've leaned this way we don't have the right to bury our heads in the sand chapter 5 Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 11, it says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Not only does it call upon us to not participate with them and fellowship with them, but it also calls upon us to reprove them. This is wrong. And then jump back up there a little bit to verse 7 of chapter 5. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. One man said, and it's, a, it's kind of disputed who, who said it, but uh, nevertheless, whoever said it, was a good statement. He said, when good men do nothing, they're no longer good. You see, goodness cannot just be the absence of not doing wrong. But we're to eschew evil and to do good. The Bible says, therefore, to them that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Okay, so what can we do? Well, uh, we can pray about the situation. I think we can pray, you know, pray for people that 
are in this situation, but pray for pray for whatever uh, the ceasing of of abortion. Pray for people who have unwanted pregnancies. I don't know of a woman who could have more help, that needs more help, that needs more for someone to come and put their arm around them and say, I'm gonna go with you every step of the way through this. If you need me, you call me. Than a young girl who's pregnant and the father doesn't care and it's absent. I don't know how any greater thoughts can flood their heart and questions about the future. And they need to know that God can forgive, that God can restore, <coughs> and that I think that uh, right now I'm doing some stuff with Jock and Daniel, <coughs> but it's really emphasizing the salvation is much more than being saved from sin and escaping hell. We can be more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. And he can take that which was meant for evil and turn it for good. And so pray. We can, we can vote. We can vote for pro-life, pro-life candidates. And, and uh, I know that <laughs> some politicians are chameleons and what will bring the vote is what they'll say, but vet the candidates. And, and uh, I know that, that uh, pro-life is not the whole the whole issue of what would be the best candidate. But if we had someone say that uh, that no Native American in Alaska should ever hold office, that's one issue that he'd get voted out of, he wouldn't get voted for. And we're talking here about um, murder we can write our legislators and our newspapers to support the pro-life cause. We can provide money for help in the pro-life cause. And maybe we need to somehow, you know, some of these organizations we may not agree with that are pro-life, uh, but, uh, our church, if you know someone that's in this situation, our church could reach out to people and, I, and you could also become involved and godly women to counsel girls are necessary. Mm-hmm. And then, um, uh, even made a suggestion here that godly families that are able 
should consider taking in such a young woman and helping them carry their babies to term. And then maybe shocking to you, but our church should discipline any members who advocate abortion, who perform abortions, or obtain abortions knowingly. It's wrong. Many have had abortions before they're saved. Many did not know that it was wrong, just that another birth control option. They need to be reached out to. They need to know that God still can use them and work in their lives. But if there's a member of our church who knowingly has an abortion, then they ought to be dealt with. It's a national tragedy, not only the law of abortion, but it's a national tragedy that both Jimmy Carter and Bill Clinton were on the church rolls of Baptist churches. They should have been excluded. And yes, there were Southern Baptist churches. And uh, any independent Baptist church that takes Southern Baptist church baptism as membership, they may need to think again. To, to hold to abortion as a president of the United States and be on the roll, and even Jimmy Carter teaching adult Sunday school in a Southern Baptist church, it's an abomination. And so thank the Lord, it's not over, we don't know for sure, but it may be that nationally, Roe versus Wade is going to be overturned. Praise God if it does. It's going to go back to the states, which means that we need to fight at the state level also. And so, uh, just a reminder that the Bible indicates that life begins at conception and life is important and that if we as Christians don't fight for the unborn, then who's going to? Okay. All right. You're dismissed. Thank you.